As you know, last week I had spoken about the bride's preparation and how Jesus Christ is the bride, the church is his bridegroom, the marriage supper of the Lamb. He judges the church first, and then the marriage supper of the Lamb takes place. In other words, everything is taken out of the way that might in any way affect that glorious relationship of the bride and the bridegroom for all eternity. So that all the wood, hay, and stubble is burned away, and the gold and the silver and the precious stones remain, and our soul shall be saved. Some shall be saved abundantly in that there'll be much rewards for them. Others will as the scripture says, scarcely be saved as if by fire. In other words, the fire burns away all those things that have been offensive to God. It's so gracious of our Savior to do that, isn't it? Because there's so much of our lives that are not used for our Lord Jesus Christ. If we were to take an actual study of our own personal lives, I think all of us would be deeply shocked at how little we show love for the Savior. And so there's so much that will have to be burned away. Every idle word shall be brought into judgment. All of those things that have offended God shall be burned away. I'm so thankful. And it can't take me from heaven because I'm already seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I am a child of God and a son of God, and you are a child of God and a son of God if you believe on Christ as your personal Savior. So nothing can take you from that heavenly home. But there are grades of reward. This would only be normal. I think that would be the normal expectancy of any human heart to realize that all will not be exactly the same. That God that says, Jesus says in one place, and some shall be ruler of ten cities and some one city. In other words, we are priests and kings with God. Remember that you're in a royal family and uh, Jesus Christ is the firstborn of many brethren. He's the crown prince of the family who will become king of kings and lord of lords, and we are his brethren. So, of course, anyone who is a brother of a crown prince is also part of the royal family, you see. And he's the firstborn of many, many brethren. And so we, it says, are priests and kings you see, because we're the sons of God. He is the high priest. We are the serving priests. You remember that this was Martin Luther's great treatise. treatise. The priesthood of all believers. Only priests have a right to come into God's presence. And therefore, Jesus Christ is the high priest, and we are his brethren, Hebrews 2 says, he is not ashamed to call us his brethren. I think it's Hebrews 1. He is not ashamed to call us his brethren. 
And so we are the brethren of Christ and we are the serving priests. You can't be less than a priest if you're part of the family of God. You are a son of God. Therefore, you are a priest, you see. Peter speaks of us being priests in 1 Peter 2.9, I believe. He says, we are a generation of priests, you see. And this he says in 1 Peter to the strangers that be at Pontus and Galatia and all that. He doesn't even know them. And he says, but because you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you are priests. Now, isn't this a glorious place to be in? Hmm? You know, it's always thrilled my heart. You know, I used to think as a Roman Catholic that the only way, as an altar boy, the only way I could come to God was through the priest on the altar. But how blessed when I came to know Christ as my personal Savior that I understood that I myself was in the family of God and I could never be less than a priest because Christ is the high priest of our profession and we're his brethren. And just as in the Old Testament it was Aaron and his family, you see? Even so, in the New Testament, it's Christ and his family. Aaron was the high priest of the Old Testament. You had to be part of the family. That's the only way you could be a priest, you see? And in the New Testament, it's exactly the same thing. Christ the high priest, his brethren, those who belong to him, are priests. And we're part of the royal family. Isn't it wonderful to know? Priests and kings with God. That's what it tells us. Now, as I've said, I don't want you running out to the public and telling them about this. They'll never believe you. But you as a believer should know this. It should not amaze you. This doesn't require any deep understanding. I'm not speaking about deep things here. I'm speaking about surface things. Things that are evident from the word of God that you don't even have to surmise about. The word of God is so clear. You can't be in the family of God and be less than a priest an impossibility and he has made you a son of God to as many as receive Christ to them he has given the power and the privilege to be sons of God therefore Peter says you are a generation of priests you see how blessedly wonderful aren't you thankful that you have access to God at any time you don't have to get into the building to find him isn't that good you don't have to come to past again to find them. Great. Mother in her home, dad in his business, the young folks in school, all in the same position if they trusted Christ as personal Savior. It doesn't matter who you are, where you are, you have that immediate access and you come as a son. Remember in Hebrews how it says? For we have what? Boldness to come to him and to draw nigh to him through the blood of Christ. Now, what kind of people can be bold with a father? Children. Children can come to you for anything, can't they? You don't expect the neighbors outside to be bold with you. But a son can come to you and say right away, Dad, Mother, can I have this? Or, I'd like to have this. And then mother and father make the judgment just as our Heavenly Father makes the judgment with us. And so... Here we are in this glorious privilege that we have of being a generation of priests. Now, I had said last week about the marriage supper of the Lamb, the bride. You see, it's, it's so glorious. God brings us into such wonderful relationships with himself. And I think this is so important that we understand that 
God makes sure that we understand that every beautiful relationship on earth is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Every beautiful relationship. The most beautiful relationship of all would be hard to define. I would have to say that a father and son's relationship is a wonderfully beautiful relationship. And lately I've come to understand that a grandfather and grandson's relationship is quite beautiful. But I have to say that a husband and wife relationship, a bride and a bridegroom, is the most intimate and holy of all relationships. And this is the picture of Christ and his church. So as far as God is concerned, the most beautiful relationship of all is mentioned in Ephesians 5 when he says, I show you a great mystery, for I'm speaking about Christ and his church when I speak about marriage, the bride and the bridegroom. Christ is the bridegroom and the church is his bride. This is an intimate, holy, tender relationship. Your marriage, if it's of the right character, will portray to your heart the beauty of your relationship to your Savior. If your marriage is not showing that forth, then you work at it. Just doesn't happen, you know. You just don't roll off the log and that's it. If the marriage isn't what it should be before God so that you can't portray Christ to your children, if the home is a time of argumentation and all kinds of temper and all of these relationships, this is not showing forth to the children the beauty of relationship with Jesus Christ that mother and dad have together. And this is the holiest of all relationships that God wants to have portrayed to the children. They're to see it. They're to see it in your lack of worldliness. Your lack of stress upon the dollar. They're to see it in your consecration to God. They're to see it in your Bible reading. They're to see it in your devotional life. They're to see it in your attendance faithfully to the house of God. They're to see it faithfully in your attendance to the prayer meeting. Sometimes people say to me, prayer meetings are going down. I'm thankful it thrills my heart when I go downstairs to the prayer meeting on a on a Wednesday night and see the basement filled with people praying together? It thrills my heart. But there'll be no prayer warriors in your family if you, as a mother and dad, are not faithful to the prayer meeting. This is how it happens. It doesn't happen that the child himself or the young person suddenly says, I'm going to be a prayer warrior. No, it happens because mother and dad have set aside that time. And I would have to say that within... If the Lord Jesus tarries, I would say that five to ten years from now, I don't know how well prayer meetings will be attended. From what all the pastors on Long Island tell me, this is the largest attended prayer meeting on Long Island in our church. Sure, it's a thrill to my heart. But our prayer meeting could be quadrupled, and then it would equal the attendance here this morning. Now, wouldn't that be tremendous? And imagine the power there would be here. Well, this is that husband and wife relationship. I want to be close to my Savior, you know. The thrill of heart. The thrill of that first romance not dying out. 
I'm so thankful that romance in my heart has not died out with Jesus Christ. It doesn't depend on me being well or whether I'm sick. The romance that Christ has put into my heart is glorious in my relationship to him. And God continually wants us to know, as we come to these portions here, this glorious relationship. He's had the marriage supper of the Lamb. That's the only thing he mentions. The marriage supper of the Lamb in this 19th chapter, I think, in the 9th and 10th verses, you see. The marriage supper of the Lamb. And this is because this is the most tender and the holiest of all glorious relationships. Do you know, as a pastor, the prayer of my heart is for every family here, and I have you all listed, is number one, that your married relationship as a husband and wife be a thing of beauty. So that God can picture to you the beauty of Christ's relationship to your heart. That's the number one prayer. Because when God does that to you, he spreads it out to the family, and the church then becomes the evidence of home lives that are beautiful. The church is the picture of the home lives of the individuals here. Or it is nothing. Your Christianity is not judged by God when you sit in a pew. That's the least of his judgments. He's hardly interested except that you're faithful. That's about all. His main judgment upon each of us is at home and in the privacy of our personal lives because that is where God really judges each of us. But not only that, but he gives us so many other relationships which are glorious to, to portray to us. He says the husband and wife relationship is Christ the bridegroom and the church's bride. Number two, he says, I am your father and you're my son. Father and son relationship. He says Jesus Christ is the one who sticks closer than a brother. You want that relationship? He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Friend, you see. All of the glorious relationships are there. And so all of these he wants us to understand. But he starts with the bride and the bridegroom. And the marriage supper of the Lamb, the one that was slain from the foundations of the world, the one we've trusted to cleanse us from sin, the one who has made us pure in his presence. Isn't that wonderful? No purity in myself, but pure before him. He hath made perfect forever them that are saved. How blessed he doesn't look at us in the flesh, but he sees Christ when he looks at you and when he looks at me. So this is the glorious relationship we have with Jesus Christ. This is the only thing in this sin-cursed world that means anything. May I say this? Because we're living in the darkest of ages. We're living in that age which immediately precedes the coming of Christ. You are living in that age where you can see every single sign around you pointing to the coming of the Lord. I would think our prayer meetings would be packed out with Christians who know the word of God because they see every sign that the Lord is coming. The Lord Jesus says you can discern the seasons. What's wrong with you, Christian, that you cannot discern the signs of the times? You should be able to see that the coming of the Lord is not. You should be able to look all around you in areas where other people don't even gaze and you should be able to see it. 
You should be able to see it in the very setup of the United Nations. You can take the countries in the United Nations that say nay, and on the other side, they that say yay, and you can practically see the division of the countries that will descend upon Israel and those that will not. You can see the signs of the perplexities of nations, as Jesus says. In the last days, great perplexity would be in the nations. Jesus says, and brother shall raise his hand against brother. And this means within nations, right within their own borders, they'll be slaying each other. Did you ever see a day like today? Brother's hand against brother in the very nations where they dwell, fighting with each other, all kinds of confusion. All the signs of the times are there that the Lord Jesus is coming soon. And he's coming, beloved, to bring in finally that millennial kingdom after the great tribulation. Notice what he has to say here. After the marriage supper of the Lamb. He says, Right blessed are they which are called unto the ninth verse, the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. Now it's strange that the Lord has to do this here. He has to say, these are the true sayings of God. And the reason he has to do it is this. It's because so many Christians born again actually are not sure in their heart of hearts that the Lord Jesus is coming soon. And they almost look at it like a, an old wives' table. Even though they hear it from pulpits, just as Noah preached the coming of the judgment of God, and no one listened to the great preacher Noah. The only ones that were saved were the little group in his own family. Because why? People looked at him as though he flipped his lid. Because he warned them the flood was coming, and he built an ark on dry land. And they looked at him, and they looked at the, even the carpenters who built the ark all were lost. They were building it and thinking Noah must have, he's beside himself building this big boat on dry land. It would be like a man building a boat down the basement, he can't get out the door. Same idea, same thought. Lost his mind. And yet Jesus says, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the day of the Son of Man. They're going to be the same kind of people, and they'll be right in your congregation. And you'll be talking about the coming of Christ, and they'll listen to you, and they'll go out and forget the whole thing. Even though every sign is there, just as it was in the days of Noah, they're going to walk out, and they're just going to disregard the whole thing. They're going to live the same old lives, striving for the same old dollars, and planning the same old estates, and looking to the same old future, and forgetting that Christ is coming soon. And every effort of their lives, every fiber of their beings should be so thrilled with this that they'd be longing for every member of the family to be saved, for every friend to be saved, and they'd be going forth and talking about the coming of Christ and the glory of his kingdom and asking soul after soul, do you really know Christ as your personal Savior? For the Lord is coming soon. And so it says here, imagine Jesus has to say, these are the true sayings of God. He's saying to them, 
It seems necessary at this point that I stress this to you, my beloved children, because you don't seem to grasp it at all. Your ears are dull of hearing. You've listened to the preacher in the pulpit. I wish I could say all preachers. I don't think it's preached in nine-tenths of the churches, and I hate to say it, but in most of the fundamental churches, they don't even talk about Christ coming anymore. And yet the whole message of Scripture is heading up to one thing. Christ is coming back. You haven't got anything to look forward to if your Savior isn't coming. You tell me what you have to look forward to. Tell me. Let me know. What have you to look forward to? Children, what do you have to look forward to in this world? You have nothing but chaos and sin and a completely torn world. And you don't have to blame it on your parents. You can blame it on Satan. Put it in its proper place. Satan has had power. Who is the prince of this world? Who is the god of this world? Jesus says, Satan is the god of this world. That's who people are following, blindly. Don't know where they're going. And they're following after Satan. And it's an amazing thing here that God has to say, these are the true sayings of God. Because of the inclination of churchmen and the inclination of believers and, of course, the inclination of the whole world to say, this is ridiculous. Well, let me tell you, Christ is coming soon. And I want you to hear it from my lips. Because I want at the judgment seat of Christ, to have no one ever say, Lord, I never was told. You've been told. Christ is coming soon. It may not be in my lifetime because my heart's gotten a little weak. I don't know. The only reason they didn't let me preach on that Sunday when I was taken ill was because... Uh, we discussed it inside the deacons, and I said, I just don't want to fall in the pulpit and shock my people. If I'm going to die, let me die in a bed somewhere, and the Lord will take me home. I wanted to come out. I said, let me sit in the chair. Pull the chair up to here, and I'll preach. And, of course, Ernie said to me, we did that with Percy Crawford when he came here, and he died two weeks after. But, beloved... We're to understand that Christ is coming soon, and these are the true sayings of God. May I imprint that in your minds this morning? These are the true sayings of God. There's going to be a marriage supper of the Lamb. Do you look forward to it? Do you look forward to being with your Savior? What did he say to his own? I will not eat with you from the fruit of the vine until I eat with you in my Father's kingdom. There's going to be that day when we're going to be joined with Christ forever and ever and ever. As Harry read the portion there this morning, for the dead in Christ shall rise first, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up the word in the Latin is repair. That's where we get the rapture. The rapture of the church, the rapture of believers shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the clouds in the air and then shall we, what? Ever be with the Lord. Boy, I'm glad I'm alive. 
but I'll be just as glad when I'm dead. <laughs> oh, you leave a little sorrow behind and it's hard on the... Listen, dear Mrs. Thanell, I don't know how many of you knew Mrs. Thanell, but she's with the Lord now. 81 years of age. But what a life. I saw her when she was in oxygen the other day, smiling, just rejoicing. And the doctor was in the room with me, and the doctor said to her, and he said, well, he says, you know, I, I guess your days of baking and, and scrubbing the floors up there every summer up there at Children's Bible Fellowship ministering to those children, wonderful, godly mother, giving of all that she had to Jesus Christ. And then the Lord took her home so gloriously. And it was Harry's privilege. He, he and I just had a, a bite of lunch together. And I'd been there previously, and he went down, and he got there just about five minutes before the Lord took her home. But what a joy she's in Christ's presence. And I have to say that though the family sorrows, I have seen them and there's a light in their hearts because they know where mother is. They're rejoicing in Jesus Christ because they know they're going to see mother again. Children, I hope I'm serious enough with you. You're going to lose your mother and dad someday too. Boy, I'd make sure my relationship to mom and dad were right and that everything was clear and that I really love my Savior with all my heart. You may treat it lightly sometimes now, but oh, children, let me tell you, there's nothing more important than when that loved mother and that loved father goes home to be with the Lord, you're able to be like the Thanel family, rejoicing in Jesus Christ. Rejoicing in Jesus Christ. And mothers and dads, may I say this? I think of that portion, you know, that I use in the weddings over there in Proverbs 31, where it talks of the mothers, the godly mothers. And it says this about godly mothers, and it says, her husband praises her and her children praise her in the gates. Oh, may this be your portion, beloved children. May this be your portion beloved mothers and fathers, that this relationship exists between you. God says these words are true, you see. There's going to be these things come to pass. They're going to happen. You can't prevent them. Why is it that a man lives as though he's eternal while he's in the flesh and never thinks about the fact he's going to die? It is appointed to man once to die and then the judgment. And yet people dread the thought of thinking about death. But, oh, beloved, death is that stepstone to heaven. And so there's the inclination today for churchmen to belittle the coming glory of Christ and his return to the earth to settle the nations and to get them straightened out because they need a good straightening out. Don't you think so? I think this old United States needs a good straightening out. And, you know, we talk about Russia, and I'll have much to say about this, we talk about Russia and the fact that Russia and the powers of the Northern Confederacy, and as I said, you can look at the United Nations to see your setup if you want. It's right in there. 
the powers of the Northern Confederacy shall come and descend upon Israel to take a spoil for themselves. In other words, to take every nation upon the face of the earth is needing oil. The public buildings in New York City won't have enough oil. You've read that in the papers. I don't have to tell you. We are dissipating the oil reserves of the earth very fast. Oh, there'll be other sources of heat, sure. But it is the gold today. Coal used to be the black gold. Now it's oil. And Russia will come, it says, and I'll speak about this another time, but will descend upon Israel to take a spoil for themselves. And then the other forces on the other side, England and all of the others, will battle with Russia. And there'll be this tremendous conflict. And I'm going to tell you all about this. Tremendous conflict will come to pass. But the amazing thing is that God's on either side. Why? Because all the nations are wrong. The Russians are coming to take a spoil. Do you think that the United States and England are going to fight Russia out of the goodness of their hearts and because they love the Jews and because they love Israel? Do you? It's purely a political setup involved with Israel and the possession of the land and the oil and all the rest. And so it won't be love from this side's heart that causes us to try to help the Jews. It will be a political thing completely, just as every single war in history has been political. And one side is supporting one group. It was the same when the Germans began, said God is on our side. And we said, God is on our side. And I want to tell you, God was on neither side because he says, where comes wars from among you? But from what? Greed and lusts of your own hearts. And you don't think that we're so loving that we're just going to go in and help them to win this whole thing. From both sides, there'll be the political maneuvering. And finally, it warns us that God himself will come upon all the nations of the earth and he'll climax the whole thing. The red light is lighting on my pulpit. This means I'm getting too excited. <laughs> Thank you, you. How can I help but be excited? These are the true sayings of God. Eleventh verse, I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. It's the only righteous war ever going to be fought in history. Imagine. Every other war was not righteous. In righteousness he doth judge and make war. And his armies follow him. And his armies, I don't even know whether to tell you this before I finish, but his armies are clothed in white linen, clean and white. Whoever heard of warriors with clean white linen on? You know why? They have no weapons. And neither does Jesus. 
and they never fight a battle. But a sword is out of the mouth of Jesus and the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. And by the same fire of his power, when he created all things by his might and power, by his word, the armies are slain. And on his side, it says, where the sword is, you'll notice this tremendous thing, and here it tells you, you read that. On his side, he says, it says, King of kings and Lord of lords, no sword. But on his thigh is written, King of kings and Lord of lords, no weapon, for his weapons are not carnal, but spiritual, to the tearing down of all the strongholds of men and their minds. And so no battle is fought. Some people used to say to me, I don't understand this. The saints, they just get married, and they have the marriage supper of the Lamb, and then they have to come out and go to war. Well, they'll still be in their clean and white and glorious linen as the bride, and they'll just look, and all the nations, like that. That's it. This is our Christ. And this is our Lord. I have a lot more to say. To be continued next week. Let us pray. Now, Father, we do thank Thee for Thy precious Word. Bless it to our hearts. We're so thankful these are the true sayings of God. We're sorry, Father, you have to tell us that because we know what it is, churchmen not believing, the saved doubting, wondering, the world looking at thee askance if they even believe thou dost exist. And yet we remember that when we get to the close of this book, it only has one thing to say. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And oh, how we praise thee for that this morning. If anyone in this place has not yet found Christ as personal Savior, that they might know that they'll escape all these things which are coming upon the earth, and they'll come with Christ. They will already be with him, be at the marriage supper of the Lamb, and then come with him and follow him and see the culmination of all evil on the earth and the setting up of his great kingdom. Oh, how we look to it. King of kings and Lord of lords, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus, and even this day touch hearts that they might know Christ whom to know aright is life eternal. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.